0: to to see you. Uh, it's a great privilege to to be here spending time together in God's word. Uh, we're now halfway through our series in Zechariah. We've got three sermons behind us, one today and then three more. And I think the Lord need knew that maybe we needed a bit of a break from some of the visions. So today there's there's no horses, there's no baskets. Um, it's not the same visions we've seen yet. Um, you will see a clear picture of the grace and mercy of God. So let's pray now. Let's pray and ask that God would show us wonderful things in his word. Uh, we would understand what was, what was happening then and that uh, we would be changed by his word today. Father, thank you that you, you come to us. You want us to know you. You speak to us by your word. So help us to understand it today. Father, let us be changed by it for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, can you know that you are accepted by God? Can you know for sure that you know the Lord's favor? Can you be sure that you will enjoy his blessing for all of eternity? some people, that that might sound arrogant to say, I I know that I'm going to be with the Lord for all of eternity. How can you know that? How can you know that you'll be accepted? Yet many of us know that that's exactly the point of the gospel. The good news of the gospel, that we're not accepted because of what we have done but because of what the Lord has done. We're not accepted uh, because we are worthy but because Jesus is worthy. Many of us know Jesus said, whoever believes in him, whoever, no matter what they have done, no matter where they're from, whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. Yet while we know this in our heads, I think we can sometimes struggle to believe it in our heart. When we look across to our fellow believer who is so constant in prayer, are so up so early, always deep in prayer, our own prayer life, we can wonder, do, do I really know the Lord's favor like they do? We look to our friend who's so confident to share the gospel with those around them and we look at, at us, maybe in our fear or timidity, we can wonder, do, do I know the Lord like them? Am I accepted like, like them? It can even happen when we look to friends who don't follow Jesus, might have colleagues who seem so devoted to God. They don't love Jesus, yet they're constant in prayer. Their prayer life seems to put us to shame. The amount they might give to the poor can feel like we, we can't do that. They can lead us to ask, okay, well, how can I know I'm, I'm accepted by God when those around me seem so devout? They seem to will give anything to know God. We'll get today in God's word is that yes, yes, you can be certain, yes, you can know. And it's not because uh, we are better, it's not because of what we have done, but it's because the Lord sought us before we sought Him. We'll see this throughout the passage, and firstly, in chapter 7, we'll see that we shouldn't seek the Lord's favor through religious ritual. And we'll see that through some people who come seeking the favor of the Lord through fasting. Join me in chapter 7, verse 2. Now, the people of Bethel sent Sherezaa and Regimelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord. This is people coming to the Lord for favor, coming, hoping that they will be blessed. Uh, They may be aware that they haven't been experiencing the favor of the Lord. They may have experienced His curse, They're coming to him, desiring that they would be accepted, know his favor, know his blessing. That they do it. They bring, again, their their past, their faithfulness uh, in fasting. They say, verse 3, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I've done for so many years? They've been weeping. They've been fasting for many years. We'll see in the following verses that it's for 70 years that they've been doing it. So what they've been weeping and fasting over with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple 70 years earlier when the Babylonians had attacked in about uh, about 587 BC, uh, Jerusalem, the temple, had been destroyed. And since then, there had been feasts. Are we hear in these chapters of four different feasts and they, according to 2 Kings 25, they all remember different parts of what happened back then in the destruction of Jerusalem. The the, the fast of the of the 10th month remembered when Jerusalem was surrounded. The fast of the 4th month when the city walls were broken. The fast of the 5th month remembered the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The fast of the 7th month when the governor in that day was killed. These are fasts, This is weeping, at remembering that God's city has been destroyed. They were. This was a good fast that they had been called to, to remember, to to grieve that Lord's the Lord's city did not stand. Yet God has something strong to say about their fasting, that they come seeking His Lord, seeking His blessing, uh, with their faithfulness in fasting. Uh, he says in verse four. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? This fasting, this grieving, it had a good reason. Uh, there were good reasons to do it, yet it was no longer for the Lord, it was for themselves. It sounds like if they bring their, their record of fasting, they may be wondering if this actually earns earns the Lord's favor. Uh, there are There many good things we're called to as Christians, to pray. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to pr- be constant in prayer, to pray all night. So we know that we are weak, but the Lord is strong. This is a good thing, yet if we start treating God like a vending machine, if we just pop in enough prayers, he has to give us what we want. The prayer's no longer about him, it's about us. Doing a quiet time every morning, reading God's word, praying, it's a wonderful thing. I think there are a few better things we could do to hear from God, to spend time with him. Yet if that becomes something that we think earns God's blessing, that we are more loved or more accepted because we do it, that he owes us anything because of it, then it's become like like a vending machine. Today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, this is a wonderful thing that the Lord himself gave us to remember, to rejoice, to give comfort and hope and to glorify him. Yet if we think that our faithfulness in, in taking it, or how often we take it, if we think that that is what will earn us approval before him, earn his favor, it's not for him; it's for ourselves. God warned them. Actually, don't seek the Lord's favor through religious ritual. He says he warned them of this actually before the destruction of Jerusalem. Were these are not the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, with her cities around her in the south and lowland were inhabited? religious ritual. And God reminds them actually what he does want from them. Are uh, there something the Lord wants more than faithfulness in their religious actions? The Lord desires love and obedience. Verse 9, Thus said the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. See, as uh, Jesus himself said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Lord desires our, our obedience, our love, showing the love he's shown us, reflecting his care, his concern. Uh, as we're told, that God warned his people through the former prophets about this. Micah, before Jerusalem was destroyed, in chapter 6, verse 8, said, He's told you, O man, what is good. And what did the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. God desires our love and our obedience more than any religious ritual. Yet while the Lord desires this, uh, this is not how we gain God's favor either. Uh, God called His people to show love and obedience yet though he warned them this passage told us that they rejected it they became their hearts became diamond hard they would not listen we by ourselves we can't love we can't obey in a way that would require anything of god don't seek the lord's favor through religious ritual yet his love let it's not even our love and obedience that can Draw the Lord's favor. Because God's going to tell his people now, as we move into chapter 8, that he is going to bless them. He is going to show them favor. Those who came seeking the favor of the Lord will not be disappointed. Yet the Lord's favor comes not because of our religious rituals or even our love and obedience. We're to rejoice that the Lord has sought Rejoice that the Lord loved us first. And we see this in chapter 8 as God determines to bless his people. And I'm going to read a large part of chapter 8 now and I want you to listen. If you just imagine what Jerusalem will look like as God promises actually what he is going to do, how he is going to bless. Listen to this picture of blessing that God promises. From 8 verse 1, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I'm jealous for Zion with a great jealousy, and I'm jealous for her with great wrath. Thus saith the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its street. Thus saith the Lord of Hosts, it's marvelous in the sight of a remnant of this people in those days. Should it also be marvellous in my sight, declared the Lord of Hosts? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets were present on the day that the foundation of the Lord the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, Never, neither was there any safety from foe for him who went out or who came in. For I said every man against his neighbour But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declared the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give its produce. The heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you've been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and the house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not. His picture of blessing for those wondering if the Lord would bless them. He pours out in his promises how he has favoured them. He has blessed them. He is coming to restore them. It's almost the greatest hits of Old Testament blessings. What are the greatest promises made throughout the whole Old Testament? There's this picture of peace where the old and the young can dwell in safety It's this picture of prosperity where the crops are plentiful and the rain is plentiful. And most of all, it's the picture where God saves his people and he comes to dwell among them. where they are his people and he is their God. For those seeking the Lord's blessing, for those seeking the the Lord's favour, God gives a resounding yes, yes, I will bless you. I have shown you and will show you favor. Yet it's not because you sought me with a religious ritual. It's not because of your love and obedience. Why does the Lord bless in this passage? Well, because He says so. You may notice ten times in chapter eight. There's this same phrase: "Thus says the Lord of." because he says so, because he has chosen to. Verse 14, thus says the Lord of hosts, one of 10 uses of that phrase, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, said the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed, chosen, decided, resolved in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. fear not. Says, I will bless you. I will favor you. It's because I've chosen to. It's because I've decided to. Because he loved us first. Before his people ever sought him, he was seeking them. God tells us, rejoice. Uh, rejoice that I have sought you. He tells us that he loved his people first, and then he tells us how to respond. And it's in this that love and obedience find their proper place when we know that God has already loved us and accepted us. We're told in verse 16 to respond in love and obedience. These are the things that you shall do, verse 16. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgment that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. These are the same commands he was telling his people before. These are the same things he told the people before the exile. Yet he's telling them again, now that they have been blessed, now that he they have been shown favour, to show that this is not how you secure God's blessing. This is a response to God's blessing. This is not how you secure God's favour. When you know you are favoured and loved and accepted, when you know that you are his people, that's when you are free to love and obey. Because when you've experienced his mercy towards you, then you can show, you know how to show mercy to others. When you've experienced his forgiveness towards you, you can forgive others. When you know his sacrificial love, that you've been given everything you need, that frees you to sacrificially give and love and serve people, his blessed people, are to respond in love and obedience. But secondly, they're to respond in rejoicing and feasting. Remember, people were seeking God's favor and they were coming saying, well, is it fasting and mourning and grieving that we should be doing? But we see it's something very different. Verse 18, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, all these things, the grieve the, the fall of Jerusalem, these fasts shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. God says your fasting will turn to feasting. Your mourning will turn to joy because I have blessed you. I have decided to to love you, to accept you, to save you. We're to respond in rejoicing and feasting. It's right. It's right sometimes to grieve. Jesus tells us that we're to grieve for those who grieve. It's right that we seek him. It's right that we we fast sometimes. Yet the dominant characteristic of God's people To it it is that of rejoicing. It is that of thanksgiving, because God has blessed us before before we sought His blessing. God has sought us before we ever sought Him. God says His people will be a people of rejoicing and feasting, and it's actually this rejoicing and feasting which is the basis of our love and obedience. Uh, In these verses, He tells us. tells us that we will be people of rejoicing, uh, and that will be be feasts of rejoicing, therefore love truth and peace. Because we've been given everything, because we are his people, blessed, rejoicing, because of that, that we are therefore to love truth and peace, because when it's hard to, to love will strengthen us what will help us to love truth and peace with the assurance that we have been loved it's the assurance that we know the peace of god it's the assurance that he has blessed us and given us everything so we don't need to fight for ourselves because he has already fought for us god calls us to be a people of love and obedience a people of rejoicing and righteousness He calls us to that in response to his grace because he loved us first. He sought us before we ever sought him. He promised his people in Zechariah's day uh, many blessings here, a material blessing, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, many gifts, but at the heart of this was the promise that he would save them, that he would be their God and they would be his people. many things that lead us to look to the future. The day when every tear will be wiped away. The day when young and old, when everyone will dwell in safety. The day when there will be no drought. The day when we will experience the, all the material blessings of God in heaven. Well, that leads us forward. Actually, the central blessing here is something that has already come to us, has already been held out to us. 8 verse 8, they shall be my people. I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. This is something Jesus spoke of. When Jesus wanted to tell us what what God is like, what our father is like, he told the story of a loving father and a wayward son. In Luke 15, you might know the story of the prodigal son, the son who took half his his, father, his inheritance, he went and squandered it. And then he returned home. He came to seek the favor of his father. He came to seek the acceptance of his father. Luke 15, 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. See, he was entreating the favor of the Lord. He was seeking the Lord's that he was seeking the Father's blessing, hoping that in bringing this deal, may, don't take me back as a son, but take me back as a servant, that he might be accepted. Yet before he can hand his father this deal, his father casts it aside, doesn't he, and embraces him. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Can you see, friends? Our God, the God who loves us first, the God who seeks us before we seek Him. Whatever we think we can bring to Him, He pushes it aside and just embraces us because we have a God who seeks and seeking. people, restored to relationship with him, to celebrate. Jesus told this story, but then we see it actually acted out in Jesus' life a few chapters later in Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the cr- crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Z- Zacchaeus wanted to get to Jesus, seeking his favor. And when Jesus came to that place in verse 5, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must Stay at your house tonight. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Enough to, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it for bold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, we might seek the Lord, but we see Jesus was seeking us first. Uh, we might seek him, but say he welcomes us in, into his family. We see he's bringing people in, accepting them to be a part of God's family through his grace. And when we're accepted, and when we experience that Jesus came to seek us, that's what frees us for love and obedience and generosity. Look what happened to Zacchaeus, who spent his life stealing and taking. It was when he met the Lord. It was when Jesus pursued him. It was when he realized that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, that he was freed to give, freed to make right, freed to do justice free to give away to care for the poor because he realized the blessing he knew in god this passage our god calls us to rejoice because he has sought us then this passage has one more thing to tell us Zechariah 7 and 8 has one more thing to tell us this is when we People, when God's people became a forgi- become a forgiven, accepted people, uh, God's going to use those that forgiven, blessed people in a particular way. That the nations will seek the Lord through His thankful people. Eight, verse twenty, Zechariah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts: People shall yet come, even ha- in, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus said the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jew, saying, Let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? God's blessed people, rejoicing, showing righteousness, just and joyful. And the nations are coming, taking hold of the Jews, saying, I want to know your God. People are saying, I'm going to seek God. Will you come too. It's an amazing picture of, like, ten people to to one Jew. Like, if we all invited ten people and brought ten people to church, like, things would grow pretty quickly, right? Uh, But here, we get a picture of what God is doing. He blesses His people to draw more in. Uh, God saves His people that even more might be drawn in to know Him. And this has always been God's intention. Genesis 12, God called Abraham, God blessed Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Zechariah 8 said that God would bless his people so that they might be a blessing. He was doing what he told Abraham he was going to do. Bless and save, bless his people that they might bless the others that bless the nations. This was the nation of Israel's job. When they were saved from Egypt, God told them, Exodus 19, I've made you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for the whole earth is mine. God rescued them and made them a people that the whole earth might come and meet God through them. We know throughout the whole Old Testament that they failed at that. They acted like the rest of the nations. Uh, They brought shame on God as his people rather than drawing the nations in. Here God says he's going to restore, restore his people. Zechariah's day, he said he was restoring Jerusalem. He was going to bless them again. He was going to dwell with them again, that the nations would come in. Even then, we know that that didn't happen. God's people didn't continue in sin. The nations didn't, didn't stream in. Until 500 years later, when there was one. One Jew who knew and was sure that his father heard when he called. A Jew who rejoiced in the presence and blessing of his father. And this Jew, Jesus, he showed perfect love and obedience. Uh, The way he dealt with the weak showed perfect care. The way he dealt with opposition showed perfect humility. The way he dealt with sinners showed perfect mercy and love. If there was a righteous and rejoicing person, well, it was Jesus. But though he showed perfect justice, he faced the greatest injustice. Though he showed perfect love, he was received with hate. He was rejected and crucified. Yet God raised him up. God declared over Jesus that he is my blessed one. I have shown him favor. He raised him from the dead, never to die again. Jesus is God's blessed one, God's the one on whom God's favor rests. Because he is God himself. Jesus is, the, is God's righteous and rejoicing, joyful and just person. And when we come to, with empty hands, when we empty our hands of anything else we might bring when seeking the favor of the Lord, when we come with empty hands and take hold of Jesus, we come to share in every one of those blessings. This passage finishes as, it's, as it began, with people seeking and treating the favor of the Lord. That these people bring nothing in their hands, not their religious rituals, not how well they have loved and obeyed. These people come with empty hands because all you need is to take hold of this man, this one man. And That's when we take hold of Jesus. We come to share in his acceptance. We come to share in the forgiveness he gives. We come to share in his life. We come to share in the access he has to the Father. He is God's person yet we become God's people in him. We just come with empty hands, take hold of him and we should come to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We are spiritual blessings. We wait for the future for those material blessings when we will know them one day in glory. Yet today we have been blessed. Today we have been shown mercy and God calls us in Christ to be his rejoicing and righteous people. His just and joyful people. Let's rejoice in what God has done. Let's be certain but we are accepted, not because of anything we have done, but because we've taken hold of the accepted one. We've taken hold of the righteous one. We can be sure. And we might look around and feel like oh, we're not a very good witness. We know our our witness is imperfect. We struggle to explain the gospel as we want. Uh, we, we don't show the lie that we hope that we would. Yet even in this, don't underestimate. For you to be sure of the God's love for you in Jesus? God says here, that's attractive. God uses that kind of rejoicing, that kind of certainty to draw others in. Seek to live. Seek to show the right, the, the love you have been shown. Seek to, to show the generosity you have been shown by God. A God will use that to keep drawing others in. that rejoicing, that certainty that we know God that we've been invited in that they too would, would come and say let us go with you we've heard that God is with you I'll pray Father thank you for your love that you loved us first before we sought you you sought us Lord there is nothing we bring yet so often we do We try bringing things, thinking maybe doing this, maybe being more like that person, that would help us to be accepted or sure. Help us to empty our hands that we might take hold of Jesus. To know that God is with Him, He is our God, and in Him we are blessed. Lord, even in our weakness, use that. Use that to build joy in us. that, to draw the nations in, we do long that more would come, more would invite one another to come to the Lord, and Lord, we pray that more would come and embrace and take hold of our Saviour, Jesus. In his good and great name that we pray. Amen.